0: Welcome to Episode 82 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And if you didn't like our musical introduction, uh, you should know that there is going to be an opportunity, in fact, you better grab it soon, to vote on alternatives to that uh, introduction, uh, uh, which I'll cover uh, both uh, in the blog post and uh, at the end of the show. Uh, Our guest commentator. Today is Jim Lewis, who's the Senior Fellow and Program Director for Strategic Technologies at uh, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and he is the uh, acknowledged uh, expert uh, on all things cyber and China-related, so we'll be talking to him about those topics. Uh, And I'm joined today uh, as well by Michael Vattis, formerly with the FBI and the Justice Department, now a partner in our New York office, by Jason Weinstein, uh, formerly with Justice, where he oversaw criminal computer crime prosecutions, among other things, and is now doing criminal and civil litigation at Steptoe, and by Maury Schenk, who's a former managing partner of our London office, uh, and is now an advisor to Steptoe on European technology and cybersecurity issues, as well as a private equity investor and director of technology companies. Uh, uh, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS, and holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Uh, we're going to jump right in the big news uh, uh, last week, I think, uh, uh, and uh, the more you study it, the bigger it gets, uh, is a uh, European court advisor uh, uh, to the uh, European Court of Justice, uh, giving um, great credit to uh, a uh, case brought against Facebook and which had been rejected at all uh, levels of uh, the judiciary and the uh, bureaucracy up to now, challenging uh, Facebook's transfer of data from Europe. Uh, to the united states in reliance on the safe harbor and essentially challenging the safe harbor itself uh uh the uh, uh, uh the solicitor uh, for the uh, uh, european court of justice uh, is it's not a role that is common in um, uh, uh, common law uh, uh, approaches to the law. It's essentially uh, an advisor who summarizes and shapes and makes recommendations on the case uh, to uh uh the um, uh the European Court of Justice and he releases his opinion they don't have to take it and they often don't but uh, more often than not they do take it uh and I thought it was a sweeping opinion uh, Maury, uh have you spent time with the uh, the decision well the, the the memo I guess
1: I've read it and yes and I agree with you it's a very important decision and if the court Follows that it, it will be um, it could have quite significant effects and the court usually follows the opinion of the advocate general although in a significant minority does not.
0: And as I remember, they did not in uh, um, a recent case involving uh, U.S. and data protection. Uh, though I'm, I'm blanking now on which one it was, but uh, it looked like we were doing pretty well when the uh, uh, solicitor's opinion came out uh, and then the court went in the other direction.
1: Yeah, I think that's the Google right to be forgotten case, which was a, a huge surprise to everybody. And the Advocate General had sided with Google um, we've got another interesting uh, um, uh permutation of that that we'll talk about later about the French and asking Google to comply globally, but on this one now, uh, shall I give you a, my quick take on the on the decision yeah like it, if, if,
0: if you can if you can sort of summarize what he says because he's got two or three different grounds, and some of them are less persuasive than others, and some of them are disasters, and some of them are just really bad
1: yeah he said he has really two main findings the first one. Is that the existence of the safe harbor doesn't bar national data protection authorities, in this case the Irish authorities, from considering a complaint that a transfer under the safe harbor is improper? And I find his reasoning on that really uh, convoluted.
0: Yeah, and, and unpersuasive.
1: Yeah, he says it's, he says the safe harbor is binding but they can still look at it in a complaint, and I'm not sure what that means. And I think the court may be a little bit reluctant to um, follow him on that because it would do a lot of violence to the relationship between national authorities and the EU, although he does cite another case in the asylum context where there was a similar finding by the court. But his second finding, and even the guy who brought the case, who's an Austrian Privacy activist called Max Schrems didn't even ask for this, but uh was consideration of whether the safe harbor is valid. And he says, um, he Both, the Advocate General says, the safe harbor is invalid. And basically on the grounds of the derogatory and the safe harbor on national security grounds combined with the facts that Edward Snowden has revealed on NSA um, surveillance. And that, I think, is something that the ECJ could agree with him on.
0: I I completely agree with you. I I completely agree with you on that. Uh, uh, I I was puzzling over the quite unpersuasive suggestion that uh, the individual data protection authorities can make their own determination about um, adequacy uh, even after adequacy has been determined by uh, uh, the European Commission, which, after all, wrote the directive calling for uh, adequacy. Um, But uh, I wonder if he had to come up with that conclusion in order to reach the issue he really wanted to reach, which was the validity of the safe harbor.
2: Well,
1: um, yes and no. I mean, I think the reason he addressed the first issue was because that was the question that was asked by the Irish High Court. So they really had to answer that. And I do think there is a seam there where a national authority could still look at a transfer and decide – whether it's in accordance with the safe harbor uh... but facebook had followed the safe harbor here so you really it was only improper if the safe harbor itself was invalid and so i think he answered the question that he was asked and that led him to the second question
0: yeah although i you know uh, uh judges are are politicians like everybody else and uh he clearly uh strained in order to get to this point so he could uh attack the safe harbor and the u s um, national security agency and its approach to uh uh uh, uh, uh intelligence collection uh, um and that it makes me think that um, this is motivated in part by a a determined ideological uh, opposition to the program. But given that the court in attacking Google on the right to be forgotten also showed what I thought was a kind of contempt for these big american companies and their lack of uh uh safeguards uh and their lack of european sensibilities uh they're much more likely to follow this opinion by the uh, solicitor than the uh, one that was favorable to google which uh, suggests that he really probably has offered a uh, uh, a path uh, for a very sweeping ruling
1: i agree completely i had exactly the same thought and if they turn over overturn the safe harbor you, i mean they could allow a grace period they have the power to do that um but they're going to produce some scrambling if that happens
0: so the basic argument that uh he makes if i if i'm reading this right is uh uh the prism program that uh, is really what section 702 uh of fisa is all about says that uh the US government can um review in uh, with fewer safeguards and a broader collection data that is non-American but which happens to touch American soil, including American servers in the hands of big uh, uh, web companies like Facebook and Google. Uh, and he says uh, uh, that's a violation of that, – that means that U.S. law allowing that is inadequate because it doesn't provide – Appropriate safeguards. Now, the the weakness of that argument, it seems to me, is it 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 suggests that uh, um, uh, European law sets standards for conducting intelligence, when in fact European law is not supposed to have much authority. Uh, Certainly, the European Commission doesn't have authority to write standards for uh, uh, European uh, intelligence agencies, let alone. U.S. A- agencies. But he gets around that by saying, well, maybe or maybe not uh, from the point of view of the commissions authority, but the European Convention on Human Rights imposes a set of standards that would make this unlawful, uh, and therefore we cannot allow uh, a- a European data to sit- be sent to a jurisdiction where such unlawful processing occurs.
1: I agree that's what he says. I I mean, those principles in the European, uh, the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the EU would apply within Europe as well. But hypocrisy has never stopped the EU bureaucracy from doing what it's doing. In fact, it's almost their job to be hypocritical, in my opinion.
0: (laughs) I would certainly uh, subscribe to that view, Uh, although I think once you lock in a a, uh, reading of the human rights conventions and human rights law uh, that says PRISM is illegal, uh, uh, I would bet that GCHQ and French intelligence has some big problems. Uh, uh, They will not... Uh, They will not survive scrutiny if the standard is set at a level that makes uh, the PRISM program uh, uh, unlawful. Um, I also think there's some question about exactly how much of the PRISM program's operations are actually in the public domain. So this is really uh, lawmaking by reading the newspaper and reacting, which, again, nothing there's uh, nothing about European practice that makes that particularly unusual either.
1: Well, I agree with, it could have those consequences for government action within the EU, but it's not going to have as big a consequence for private commerce because there's not the foreign transfer issue. And, you know, keeping the EU together, my goodness, they've, look at what they've done for Greece, bailing them out to keep the EU together, uh, turning their head to some government surveillance, um, uh, they will do that. Turning a blind eye to government.
0: So, so let's think. Of, let's 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 assume this goes down this road. This is a big problem. It can't easily be solved. The, even the European Commission, even if they wanted to, and they may or may not want to, they may recognize that they're creating a mess that uh, may embarrass them if they uh, uh, don't have something like the safe harbor. Uh, I don't see how they negotiate something that is essentially a waiver of. Their human rights law. They don't have authority to waive human rights law. Uh, so they'd actually have to make a finding that PRISM is just fine under European human rights law, which is not something they're going to be happy to do.
1: Yeah, well, they can't do that. I mean, I think that the U.S. government uh, could negotiate with them a much stricter safe harbor, which would be less useful for U.S. companies. And then in the absence of the safe harbor, Uh, U.S. companies still have some other options that they could use. There's a set of model contract clauses that they can use between the European and the U.S. entities. Uh, There's binding corporate rules, which is another regulatory process. And then there's individual consent, which doesn't work for somebody like Facebook, but may work for some others.
0: Yeah, so maybe they would have to do that. That's going to be very awkward and a subject, I'm sure – almost immediately to challenge on the grounds that uh, it fosters violations of fundamental rights. So um, it puts Europe on a collision path with the United States. The United States is not going to give up uh, some of its most valuable uh, intelligence programs, um, which are often of enormous value to Europeans. Uh, So it's going to be uh difficult to work out something in which the US accepts limitations on 702 uh if they don't uh, um this whole thing could end up in a big mess and then the question is can Europe really uh bar uh data transfers um and they can they can say that they don't approve data transfers but i i think uh uh Uh, living in a world where data can't be transferred uh, is going to be uncomfortable for Europe as well as the United States.
1: Well, I agree the U.S. wouldn't give up its surveillance programs. What I'm talking about is a strict the the model contract clauses, clauses which work not just for the U.S., but for other countries that have not been found to be adequate. In theory, you could do them with Angola or something like that, Um, impose upon the company a very strict set of obligations, including subjecting their activities to the jurisdiction of the EU, which the safe harbor puts it under the FTC. So you could theoretically have a new safe harbor.
0: We're now agreeing on how we're going to apply the the corporate uh, uh, clauses uh, in uh, uh, Europe to U.S. transfers. So it's, it's a big mess. We can certainly expect that. Uh, um, and uh, last point, uh, Michael, uh, um, What's ironic about this is that uh, Europe seems to be saying, you know, once that data is over in the United States, there ain't nothing we can do about it, because U.S. law clearly governs everything that happens to it, which is, of course, uh, the opposite of what the U.S. has been saying in the Microsoft case.
3: Well, I guess, but I I guess I disagree with the assumption that they're going to follow this opinion. I think it's it's an absurd opinion. It makes zero cents logically on either count. Um, so I don't think the, EC, I don't think the, the ECJ is going to follow it. I think they're going to say that the commission's uh, decision that the U.S. provides adequate protection is binding and national uh, uh, authorities can't overturn that and then avoid the whole mess that you've, you've raised. I also don't logically understand what 702 has to do with stored data in the United States. I mean, it's, it's a surveillance program. at at capturing communications in transmission. Um, I'm not even sure what his theory is about how that affects uh, data that Facebook stores in the United States.
0: Well, on its way in and on its way out, it's in transmission, and uh, uh, its storage here is what makes it available for uh, uh, 702 orders.
3: Well, then then every every, uh, Gmail and Yahoo and Hotmail user in Europe Um, is basically going to be deprived of those services because Google and Yahoo and Microsoft are all, on on this theory, violating uh, the Data Protection Directive because their emails transit the United States somehow.
0: So, yes, Uh, I I think you're right.
3: The the implications go far broader even than what you guys are talking about, it seems to me. It it just seems, seems so cockamamie on so many levels.
0: So, you know, I, I would have said cockamamie was a pretty good reason not to do it, but the, the right-to-be-forgotten decision was so cockamamie that you have to see it as uh, influenced by a, just a, 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 a kind of Google derangement syndrome uh, uh, that that they, as um, upstanding, bien-pensant uh, uh, Europeans, they just hate the American company so much that they – are eager to strike a blow against them and the U.S. as well. And uh, if that's what happens to them, uh, you could imagine them doing this, not quite grasping how big a problem they're creating.
3: Yeah, true. But to get there, you first have to um, also basically uh, thumb your nose at other bureaucrats in Brussels uh, because you have to first say that the commission doesn't have the authority to bind national authorities. And uh, you know, maybe maybe some bureaucrats in Brussels will be sympathetic to their their fellow bureaucrats in Brussels on on that score and avoid getting into the merits of the um, validity of the uh, safe harbor.
0: All right. Well, speaking of the right to be forgotten, uh, uh, we ought to cover that as well. Uh, uh, Google um, was told by the French uh, data protection authority, the CNIL, uh, that it has to apply um uh, take down orders or delinking orders uh, uh to google.com so that you and I when we do searches on these people uh, can't find out about their transgressions in the past uh, uh and google said oh come on really you can't mean that and the Keneal has just said uh, kind of informally as far as i can tell uh no we meant it uh, you must start applying that uh, and the Question in my mind is: Have they already begun to take things down off of .com without uh, without telling anybody?
1: I, yeah, I think that is the question. I mean, one sees why the Canell is reaching this opinion. You know, it's a, it's a view that we don't want you to escape from this new decision by um, by being able to look on Google .com. And I, I had two reactions. One: What will Google do? They seem to have you know, accepted the original decision on a European basis. They've set up a process. It's become pretty popular over here. They're processing tens of thousands of requests. But I don't think they can concede this one. And the second thought I had is it reminds me of what happened in China, where they wouldn't censor in China, and they even left the market effectively. Um, What the Chinese did, of course, is uh, build the Great Firewall. I don't think Europe's going to do that, but, I, you know, there's a lot of Internet blocking orders over here, and I wonder whether people could the French could start to say you have to block Google sites.
0: Yeah, I I think there's an easy way out of this if if Google wants to do it, which is that they could do geolocation for the requests that go to .com and refuse to um, uh, allow uh, uh, certain links for French uh, originating queries. Uh, But they've never been enthusiastic about doing that because they don't want to be asked to do that uh, for on a variety of other contexts. Uh, uh, on the other hand, taking everything down from .com is a very big step backwards in terms of uh, freedom of uh, expression. So we don't know what uh, Google is going to do. Um, they, they have been kind of quiet, uh, and the suggestion that they've already begun taking down .com has been made, and I haven't seen uh, either a confirmation or a denial of that. Okay, two other things um, we We mentioned that the Indians had uh, signed on to the Jim Comey uh, School of Crypto with a draft regulation issued by a, uh, um, a ministry that uh, charmingly calls it uh, the Department of uh, Information and Technology, which they managed to uh, uh, s- um, uh, shorthand as Deity, so they're at Deity. India, I, but it looks as though they're only half a Deity because they've already been told to back off a portion of their uh, um, uh, uh, their draft, the, the portion that deals with mass market uh, software. But I th- was thought what was most significant is they weren't told to, dra- to back off of most of it, uh, right, Michael?
3: Uh, it, it's hard to know because the whole rule, as I understand it, was withdrawn at the direction of the, the minister in charge of the, the whole uh, department, uh, and he said it was because people had a lot of misgivings. He did suggest that um, there would be some difference in treatment as to the, the create what he called the creators of encryption uh, versus Individual users of encryption, but it's not clear what that means in terms of the final rule, and especially it's not clear what that means for business users, not individual users of encryption. There may well still be very uh, strict requirements on business users of encryption to provide plain text at their demand of law enforcement.
0: Well, so my my assumption that they wouldn't have released this without Prime Minister Mahdi's uh, administration being aware and backing it is clearly wrong. They they, they got some instruction from on high that this wasn't going to fly. Mahdi is here now uh, getting, uh, I'm sure, an earful from um, Silicon Valley. So we won't know whether any of this survives until he goes back and sometime in the next 7 years uh, the uh, uh deity produces a uh, a second draft uh of this order uh so interesting uh, times last thing i just wanted to cover uh, uh judge uh, we we have a ruling here in the united states on phone passcodes uh uh, uh holding that they are uh, protected uh, information—you can't be required to produce the, your passcode for your phone. Uh, I wondered how much, really, Jason. This is this is new, uh, or is this just the same old testimonial uh, uh, rule for uh, passwords?
2: I think it's the same old testimonial rule for passwords. Uh, you know, we've talked many times before about other cases in which there is this battle brewing in, between the Fourth and Fifth Amendment over the whether the government can compel. A person whose content is protected by encryption or passcodes—it's usually encryption in most cases—to um, turn over an unencrypted version of it. And uh, and you know, the doctrine the government relies on is the foregone conclusion doctrine, which essentially says that if uh, if the the government already knows it's a foregone conclusion as the existence and location of the incriminating evidence, uh, the testimonial aspect of acknowledging that it's yours by turning over an unencrypted version of it is is not significant and and uh, and is outweighed. But a, a federal court in Pennsylvania has said in a case involving the SEC that the SEC cannot require uh, insider training suspects to give up the passcodes to their phones, work-issued phones, by the way, but but uh, phones as to which they did not give their employer the passcode. So the passcode was personal information, even though the phone was not. Uh, and the court agreed that since the passcodes had never been shared with the company, uh, they were private. And the court further said that uh, the, the SEC could not rely on the foregone conclusion test because it had no evidence that the information and documents it was seeking were even found on the phone. So while it certainly was a foregone conclusion the phones belonged to those guys, it was not a foregone conclusion that there was evidence on the phone, uh, that would be incriminating. I think it's, it's, it, what makes the case interesting is, is the fact that, as you alluded to in the intro, that it's, it's requiring someone to give up a passcode, not requiring someone to turn over unencrypted or unprotected access to the media. So, which makes it more testimonial than production. Uh, you know, we, we've talked before about whether there would be a difference in the analysis if the government was asking you to give over your, your decryption password as opposed to turning over an unencrypted version of the media itself. Here, uh, the the government's asking specifically for the passcode for testimony. And I think if they had asked for, uh, unencrypted access to the phone, the outcome might actually very well have been different. So if they, if
0: they had said come in and tap your passcode into this phone while we hold it, but we won't look, uh, then he, they, he might have been required to do that. I
2: mean, I think so. I mean, well, this, this judge may still have found uh, right. on these facts that, that it was still a fishing expedition, but you know, it's, it's fundamentally the difference between asking someone to turn over a key to a safe or asking someone to provide the password or the passcode to the safe. Yeah. The first one is clearly an act of production. The second one is arguably an act of testimony.
0: All right. Okay. Well, the other big news uh, of the uh, week was President Xi came to town, and uh, he and the president um, made a bunch of cybersecurity news, uh, which we'll be talking to uh, uh, Jim Lewis about uh, uh, in just a second.
2: But the short version is that there will be no more cyber espionage. It's all come to an end.
0: Oh, thank God. Uh, you know, it was such a nightmare. Uh, and now that it's over, uh, uh, the 50s are coming back. That's right. So we're here with Jim Lewis. Uh, uh, we finished the roundup. Uh, and uh, what I, Jim, wanted to talk to you about, we've got uh, President Xi is out of town at last. Uh, and he left behind more accomplishment than I think we expected. Uh, um so I wondered if you were comfortable... I mean, I, my, here's my sense of what uh, mm-hmm. uh, what he and President Obama agreed on. Um, the Obviously, the big thing is the assurances on commercial espionage, which we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they restarted and uh, may even have promoted the dialogue on cybersecurity that they... Uh, uh, had created and then abandoned uh, after Snowden, um, they stepped up criminal investigation and information sharing uh, and exactly what that means is not clear, but there's there's some desire to have better uh, information sharing relations between the u s and china, and um, the Chinese signed on to some of the GCC principles that they had already signed on to uh, uh as part of the UN talks. Uh um, eh, and so of those the the headlines have all been about uh uh the uh, commercial espionage. But why don't we talk just briefly about what you think the other agreements amount to.
4: Well it is a it is a significant step forward. And the White House did a good job in negotiating. It was two people at the NSC who were the primary interlocutors. And um, each of the four elements of the agreement has problems. Now, the negotiators on the U.S. side and probably the Chinese side knew that. Um, there's things that will have to be worked out in implementation. This doesn't mean the end of the cybersecurity debate with China. Um, on the U.N. Group of Government Experts report, it's nice that they endorsed it, but as you point out, they endorsed it in June Agreeing to work together in the future in the u n is good, I think what it really means is that the u s and China will have a bilateral dialogue on what norms
0: of responsible state behavior should look like right so this is this is the the the, uh, the question of norms is mostly buried in the u n stuff plus the uh, the commercial espionage provision yeah, and the rest is what you might call uh, um, trust-building, confidence-building measures.
4: Just as an aside, most of the debate in the U.S. is completely off-base when it comes to discussion of the international debate on norms. Uh-huh. And so there's been a fair amount of progress, but it's all been in the U.N. It doesn't look like the academic literature at all. I saw people writing beforehand about um, well, there's going to be discussion of no first use. No first use never came up. I have no idea where that came from other than Really? Heated bra- brows, yeah. And some of it was misinterpretation. There is agreement in the report that came out in 2015 in June not to attack critical infrastructure in peacetime. Right. And some people interpret that, uh, probably using a Ouija board, as a commitment to no first use. It's no such thing but we we one of the things that would help really, is it are a little more true.
0: not to attack in peacetime which is kind of the <laughs> <laughs> well that's why it was
4: so easy to get agreement to right? <laughs> I, I take that back even even that was not easy to get agreement to which tells you how tough things are the law enforcement thing the FBI has been trying to have a dialogue with MPS for years um MPS has not been that cooperative right and they they have a hotline uh, chinese never answer Right. Um, the last year I have data for, which was 2013, uh, FBI tells me they made 11 requests, didn't get answers on nine. And so the idea is this will set up a working cooperative relationship. And, you know, the Chinese will start by asking for cooperation and in investigating dissidents. Right. And that will give them a chip. So when they turn us down, look and say, well, you,
0: you know, look. Turn us down as Yeah, well, so. And and, and is this... Mm -hmm. I I noticed that DHS and DOJ are supposed to be at the other end of this relationship.
4: The dialogue... So both sides agreed the working group was largely a waste of time. Right. Um, That
0: was the last one, the one that they
4: cancelled. Yeah, nobody cared. And so they kept talking uh, even though the working group had been cancelled. This creates uh, a ministerial level dialogue with the Attorney General and with the Secretary of homeland security and their chinese counterparts now of course it'll be backed up by subsidiary groups um hopefully it'll be a regular
0: formal process to work through how do we cooperate on things so this really means it's the end of the post snowden era or at least this the the immediate aftermath of snowden because uh, this is Who? this is the, exactly <laughs>
4: I'm, I'm writing a book, by the way, called A Day in the Life of uh, Edward Snowdenisovich. <laughs> so, uh,
0: uh,
4: it's really a lot of fun.
0: But um, well, you saw recently that he, he's, he's so fixated on encryption, he thinks that we won't understand that, the, uh, uh, that there's an uh, uh, alien communication to the Earth because all the communications will be encrypted and therefore they'll be indistinguishable from noise.
4: I, 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 I saw that and I was impressed with it. Uh, I think it shows that a year in Russia can only have positive benefits for your psyche. Uh, I hope, I hope he's having a good time. Um, so, but the, the orange jumpsuit offer remains open. <laughs> Come back. Almost all is forgiven. You'll like Pennsylvania. Club Fed is really, they've got pools and, you know, table tennis and it,
0: it's really not that bad. Okay. So, um, yes. It, so the, the, the fact that justice is part of this now means probably that they are, uh, co-drivers for cybersecurity policy inside the U.S.?
4: Very much the case. Uh, DOJ is playing, and some of this, of course, reflects, you know, the makeup of the NSC when you have Lisa Monaco as the right. number two. But DOJ is very much uh, driving. Um, I think they, it, it appears they take law enforcement seriously, and they're annoyed, annoyed as a polite term, with the Chinese for committing crimes in America yes i think that's a good thing
0: yes no, that <laughs> yeah. is i i think that's uh, that's terrific and yeah. so um what does the cooperation on information sharing and criminal investigation then amount to other than this high level discussion
4: well there have been cases where the us and china have been able to cooperate usually it's involved uh financial crime fraud uh usually against chinese victims the case i know the best is one where a uh, chinese gang operating in new york was uh, exploiting wealthy Chinese uh, back in China and FBI and MPS were able to cooperate to to bring them mm-hmm. to justice. So you can find things where uh, you can cooperate. Both governments
0: have an interest in doing
4: it. Yeah, and they both recognize that, but this is a limited set. The interesting thing about this agreement is the Chinese kept uh, the military dimension out of it. And the U.S., did explore the possibility of getting military-to-military talks, a normal confidence-building measure, and the Chinese turned it down. So the PLA is still walled off, and that's why you see the Attorney General and Homeland Security taking the lead.
0: So the PLA. Let's let's move to the big uh, right. uh, uh, topic, which is the uh, pledge that uh, both sides oppose. Uh, side uh, espionage for commercial uh, purposes. Uh, um, do you think that the PLA made a mistake by sort of walling itself off and opened up this uh, uh, this possibility? It's
4: it's a good question as to whether um, the Chinese will rue making this commitment. And mm-hmm. my impression is they will. Now, I I believe that um, that both Justice and the White House. We'll be tracking uh, implementation and compliance very closely, right. and sanctions are still a possibility, so don't think this is a, as the as the end. think of it as just setting up the next chapter
0: so here's i I, I have a, a a view on this mm-hmm. uh, We can talk a little bit about the um, enforcement I think this will make it very difficult in the next well for the rest of the Obama administration to impose sanctions on Chinese cyber espionage uh, because uh, everyone will say well we have to give it time to work and you know there's a, we, we, we don't want to be too aggressive uh, and embarrass the regime over stuff that is just the leftovers of uh, uh, attacks uh, um, it, or maybe they're still trying to get their arms around the hacking uh, uh, cadres in the PLA so I, there's a lot of excuses yeah. that, that, that could lead to a reluctance to impose sanctions On the PLA or on the Chinese government. To my mind though, what's valuable about this is now you've got China saying, if there was cyber espionage for commercial purposes, it's not us. And so it opens the door to saying, well, we're not gonna, we think it was probably the PLA, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that stolen trade secrets ended up in the hands of a Chinese, uh, company maybe state-owned, maybe not. Mm. Uh, And we're going to sanction that company because however it got there after it was stolen, and whoever delivered it to them, they knowingly took it. And so Mm. we can sanction them. And when the Chinese complain, we say, well, we're not accusing you of doing anything. We're accusing them of having the fruits of this. I believe that uh,
4: a number of Chinese individuals and companies uh, have been targeted for sanctions. And the decision was not to impose these sanctions uh, before or during the Xi visit. Uh, compliance with the agreement will be tracked very closely. If the FBI makes a number of requests and does not get a response, uh, well, the Chinese respond, they say, we have no information. Um, if the FBI doesn't make a response, if there are cases where um, it is not uh, a government entity uh, directly doing responsible for the hacking, Uh, I think sanctions are still on the table.
0: Yeah, that's my guess. And and even if you suspect it was a government entity that did it, you can go after the beneficiary of the hacking. Uh, You know, if it's it could be a state-owned oil uh, company that that stole bid information on offshore tracks. Uh, uh, They didn't do it themselves, and probably it was the PLA that stole it for them. But they. They can be tagged, and you can just yeah. skip the step of tagging the PLA for it.
4: One point, if, if you were going to go back and correct the record, which uh, a number of pundits in the blogosphere should probably do, one point you'd want to pay attention to is the benefit of the indictments, because the indictments were exceptionally painful for the Chinese. And when they were told, and the White House, with some surprising skill, was able to leak The threat of sanctions when they were told, okay, sanctions, they did not want to go through the pain of the indictments again. And, of course, as Americans, we clearly understand the difference between sanctions and indictments. The Chinese don't. Ah. It's a very different system. Um, Separation of powers is not the Chinese model. Right. So when they saw another thing coming down the pike... They remembered the pain of indictment. So what
0: was the pain? Do you, do you have a feel for why it was painful? Because those were widely derided. I, I, I didn't entirely share that. Yeah. You, but they were widely derided as hopeless, you'll never reach these guys, yeah. you're never going to serve a, a day in jail.
4: So, you know, this is why yeah. amateurs should probably not do diplomacy or espionage. But uh, the psychological effect on the Chinese was uh, profound. It affected the PLA. The PLA felt like it had been outed. Uh, it it uh, lost prestige both with other agencies in China and internationally. Um, that was the effect, and we have seen this work before with China.
0: So essentially, mm-hmm. even though they've been acting in their uh, cyber espionage as though they don't care about getting caught, actually getting caught turned out to be very painful because it subjected them, among other things, to mockery for not having good tradecraft.
4: Um, I think the word is uh, Schadenfreude. And when you talk to other Chinese agencies, yes. they, they didn't, they didn't, they sort of enjoyed the PLA, which is the 800 pound gorilla there. They kind of enjoyed it being uh, kicked, kicked a little bad. bit. Yeah.
0: Oh, interesting. I, I, all that makes perfect sense. So that uh, the prospect of sanctions may have done. Um, more good than the actual imposition of
4: sanctions. It was clever to use them to gain leverage in these talks. It was a a moment where you had a number of things. The Chinese uh, really wanted a happy outcome to the summit, and they made that point repeatedly. Um, They were worried about sanctions, in part because of the indictments experience, right? They knew that Americans were angry over OPM, and that there were even discussions of possible uh, retaliation uh, for OPM and all of those things put pressure on them in a way. So if you remember the 2013 summit, you know she pretty much said, mm, "That's really interesting. I'll get back to you." Right. right. Yeah. That's not, by the way, Snowden. Yeah he he didn't say that this time. So living up to the agreement will be hard, but uh, that's one of the things that I think everyone will track. And the commitment, your point, making the commitment to not engage in commercial espionage. Is, is a, is a sea change in Chinese policy.
0: Right. And um, what is that, what, what kind of strategy do you think the government then should follow? If we, if, if we in fact have found a, a, a point of neuralgia for the mm-hmm. regime and they've put their names on an agreement that we don't expect the PLA to be comfortable living up to. I mean this, uh, cyber espionage has been the mother's milk of the PLA. They have made s- such strides based on stealing... Well, it's, it's extracurricular profit.
4: Um, they're not, they're yeah. not a professional military in the Western sense. Right. They're like a Southeast Asian military where the generals have a business on the side. Right. And so they make money out of
0: hacking. This is a big deal. So that's interesting. So uh, if you were looking for ways to raise the profile mm. of uh, um, violations you'd want to pick ones where there's some reason to believe that the uh, the unit that carried it out profited from it so that it ties into the yeah. uh, uh the corruption campaign that the uh the government's already pursuing so that they'd have their own reason to knock off the, the general
4: uh, exactly right and i think that's what you'll see is the cooperation will occur in those cases that work with both the anti-corruption campaign that she is carrying out and with his recently announced military modernization uh program you know uh, um professional military does not have side businesses right the chinese are moving in that direction anti-corruption could also be called consolidation of power yes. um but he can use it there'll be there'll be some individuals who unfortunately for them fall in the category of Um, potential sacrifices.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I heard somebody uh, uh, recently, uh, Maury Shank, who who occasionally uh, uh, participates in our podcast, say Mm -hmm. that there seems to be an attribution of the uh, recession uh, or the effect of recession that the Chinese are going through to the anti-corruption campaign, that, that a lot of economic activity is not occurring because people are not sure that they won't be prosecuted for it. Uh, and that's cast a pall over the usual mechanisms for goosing the economy. The,
4: that could be true. Um, you can certainly see it in restaurant reservations. Yeah.
0: And, well, and the same thing could happen mm. with cyber. Yeah. Right? If, 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 if people say, well, I don't want to do this, if it might be construed as corrupt, yeah. that could have an enormous impact on the targets that uh, um, these units choose for their cyber espionage. Well, we, you know, she is not a Western-style
4: reformer, and he does like wearing mile jackets. But he knows that the the way the Chinese run their economy has to change, and that means that the old model, which was very much greased by corruption, right. um, needs to go away. And that's going to be a difficult change. Oh, so. That's going to be- yeah, we're fitting into, the, the, one of the reasons that we got this agreement was it fits in, I think, with the broader efforts to reform the economy and the military and the government in China. So they would have to do this anyhow. Um, the old model
0: is gone. So if, if, if you were thinking about how the government responds to having, having mm. this concession or this agreement, um, I agree with you that um, picking our targets makes sense. It also suggests that we can't do this, uh, we can't uh, come up with a response that focuses just on looking at the clues inside the network for who did this. We're going to have to actively pursue the attackers as a government uh, back to their uh, headquarters. We're going to have to start um, doing our own intrusions into the military networks and maybe the personal networks of the generals in order to to find evidence of the corruption. Is this a trick question? No, it's not. Do you agree?
4: What makes you think we're not doing that now? Um,
0: The lack of um, production of evidence or even leaks about Uh, the details
4: of that. Well, and of course, you, of all people, are familiar with the um, constant debate over protecting sources and methods and particularly NSA, which until recently was so wedded to secrecy that they classified their lunch menu. Yeah. Uh, they they may be doing the things you were talking about and not sure sharing public.
0: I, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't help us to oh. target corrupt generals uh, uh, who are carrying out side businesses of cyber espionage if we can't tell the Chinese about it. And once we've told the Chinese about it, we yeah. would not expect yeah. it to remain a
4: secret. So it's another hoop. It has to be... So, you know, there, there's a lot of Chinese, which is good, because we're going to have to jump sh- through some hoops to get to targets. It'll have to be someone the Chinese want to give up right? and someone where we're comfortable revealing that we know what we know. So I. I That's is, not a null set, though. No, it's not a null set. Know.
0: And, and uh, yeah. I increasingly... Um, have said, and I have to be fully contradicted, although there's probably plenty of passive contradiction, that telling people we got this evidence from inside the network of a network we had hacked um, doesn't actually tell people how we got into the network. And six months after we've gotten in and gotten the, the, the information, the tool we, we use to get in is probably burned anyway. Um, so at that yeah. point, you, you yeah. kind of say, you know, we got, we got into your network a while ago, you're a little vague about when, and we found this stuff. Uh, at, now, at that point, they, they know we were in their network. Well, we know they're in our network, and we're not keeping them out. And yeah. the same is true, I believe, for us, that there may be more uh, flexibility to what you can disclose about these sources and methods than there would be in, you know, if it were human intelligence.
4: Yeah, I, I'm. I don't get us hung up on the evidentiary question because this isn't. This isn't a court. This isn't a classroom. This is power politics, and so the correct answer is: we found it. We believe it. You have to do something.
0: Well, and it's true that the. Treasury sanctions program. Yeah, they can accept classified information yeah. and, and rest their conclusions on classified information, yeah. but that they never disclose. Yeah. So, so you could you could tell a whole story and decide exactly how much you're willing to tell about that uh, the, the yeah. way you got the evidence. Uh, and once it's out there, it will have as did the uh, indictments um, uh, the ring of truth, and people will tend to believe. Well, they disclosed enough for me to think yeah. they have more.
4: The Sony case is still the classic example of this. You had the entire uh, left coast lining up to say that they weren't persuaded by the evidence. And the short answer is, who cares? You're wrong. This is how we're doing it. And they've all... Uh,
0: almost since all... Almost
4: all... Uh, yes. Yeah. So um I know people don't like the intelligence community. I know they don't trust them. There's plenty of good reason for that. But in these <laughs> cases, right, um in these cases... Uh, the government is very cautious about moving forward until internally they are persuaded that
0: there's adequate evidence. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, then overall, um, it sounds to me as though you're pretty happy with the outcome of this and happy from the point of view of that actually having an impact on the level of cyber espionage in the U.S., well, at least as committed by China.
4: Well, what I'm happy about is that the... Um, Getting the agreement was good, but that uh, DOJ, Treasury, uh, the NSC, um, all know that uh, they're going to have to track it, and they may have to take action. Now there is an internal debate in the administration. Before the Xi visit, there were some people who were saying, "Oh, we want to be nice to China. We don't want to. You know, they're having a hard time." And there's not a hundred percent agreement that uh, action is necessary. And
0: hopefully the uh, good guys will win this debate, but and, and uh, in that regard, <clears throat> all the profound skepticism that we 're hearing from yeah. the hill is actually probably going to turn out to be productive because the people who are saying i don't believe it'll be enforced i don 't be illegal to carry it out, yeah. and if it is uh, it is if it if the chinese cheat i don't believe the administration will do anything about it both of those are are themes that it's Perfectly fair for the hill to be raising. But, but uh, you know how this works, and so
4: you know you go to the Chinese offline. This isn't going to be done in public, food. and you say, "Hey, I got those crazies on the hill. I'm going to have to do something. So here's what we were thinking. What do you think?" And the Chinese will say, um, uh, "You know, we we agree. We'll cooperate with you on this guy because you, you've got the goods on him. We know it. And so yeah, you'll you'll see a couple human sacrifices probably in the next year." Uh, we need them to placate the hill. The Chinese can use them to keep the deal going. Uh, y- you know, it is symbolic, but a lot of these things, and I always go back to the Helsinki Agreement, which was uh, met with profound skepticism. The Soviets commit to human rights. Right. I mean, and that was an incredibly stupid deal, except that it it, it changed the entire politics.
0: Yes, and, and in the end, uh, arguably produced the, uh, the destruction of the Soviet Empire. So.
4: Yeah, and I'm not, we're not going to see the destruction of, the, of China, but what we will see is a change in how the Chinese do business and operate in the world, and that's
0: a good thing. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you to Michael Vattis, Jason Weinstein, Maury Shank, and especially to Jim Lewis. Uh, as always, the Cyber Law Podcast is open to feedback. Send your questions, suggestions for interview candidates or topics to Podcast at steptoe.com. Uh, if you'd like to leave a message by phone, one two zero two 862 We'll do it. Uh, and Particularly importantly, uh, we need feedback on uh, whether and with what to replace our theme music. So listen to the samples at uh, www.steptoe.com slash cyber music and vote for your favorite voting closes on October nine. This has been Episode 82 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Later this week, Alan and I will be recording at the, the IAPP meeting in Las Vegas. With Bruce Schneier, and coming up this fall, we'll be joined by Mike Hayden, Mikko Hipponen, Ari Schwartz, and Adam Cozy, talking about a variety of cyber law and cybersecurity topics. Uh, uh, it's going to be a great fall. We hope you'll join us as we provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.